Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the SW6 Daily Podcast. In today's episode, we actually have something a little bit different to what we usually do. We've actually got on um, a youth coach from Germany and then also a full-time editor for a sports magazine in Germany as well. We have on Marius Fitcher. Marius, how are you doing, my friend? Hello from Germany. I'm fine. I'm doing fine. The coronavirus still still here, but um, yeah, it's getting better. The weather is good, so yeah, nothing too much to complain about. Mm, mm, perfect, perfect. So with that being said, we'll actually go straight into it. But like, uh, I need to let my listeners know, virus Germ- German is your main language, isn't it? Obviously, you're from Germany, so and English is one of your secondary languages, right? Yeah, I try my best. So it's it's like a bit school English, but um, yeah, I think I think we come nah. along. Now nah, you sound perfect, man. You sound perfect. Thank you. So let's just actually hop straight. Let's just hop straight into this. So first, we're going to be talking about some transfers. Now Chelsea at the moment seem to be involved in a lot of transfers with German clubs, and we'll talk about the one we've actually completed first, which is Timo Werner. So I want to ask you, Marius. What do you think of this transfer and how do you think he's going to improve Chelsea in the long term? Yeah, I have to congratulate uh, Chelsea for this transfer because, um, yeah, if you if you watch Timo Werner in the Bundesliga, you can just say he guarantees any team in Europe um, on the long term like 20 goals in the season at least because, yeah, he's just such a good goal scorer. He can score with his right foot, with his left foot, even with his head, even if he's not the biggest player. Yeah, he's lightning fast. Um, he is not injured that often, which I think is also quite important because the Premier League mm. is different. It's a quite physical league. And um, I don't think Chelsea wants him to just play 10 or 15 games a season. So um, he has some injuries problems in the past, but um, nothing nothing to worry about. So he, if he is fit, he can guarantee Chelsea 20, 25 goals even next season. Um, mm. Yeah, I think he is a, a very good transfer. And I was a bit surprised because I thought that uh, Bayern Munich won't let him leave the Bundesliga because normally he's the type of player that yeah Bayern Munich must buy. But yeah, not sure why, but Chelsea convinced him to, to come over to England. And yeah, I think it was a very good pull by them. Mm, mm. Thank you. I mean, Frank Lampard's pool part, a lot of people have put that in question recently. But obviously, for the fact that even Bayern didn't go after him, means just it just means a lot to us. And another thing I was going to ask you about Werner as well is that a lot of fans have been trying to figure out where exactly and how he's going to play. Because obviously, we have Tammy Abraham at the club as well. And I was an advocate for Werner very, very early on. A lot of people say Werner can't really play by himself up front, and they don't think he's going to be like he's going to be like a, the main striker. He's probably going to play on the wings. What do you think his position at Chelsea is going to be next season? I think um, one of his main um, yeah advantages is that he's really flexible. Um, he can play on the wing. He played on the wing for Nagelsmann uh, at Leipzig on the left wing, mm. so he can cut inside and to finish with his right foot. But his best position, of course, is up front um, as a second striker. Um, I think RB Leipzig most of the time played in a 4-4-2. So, yeah, mm. as a second striker, um, he Next to Patrick Schick, who is quite physical, he played next to Yusuf Paulsen, who is quite physical. So yeah, if you have a target man um, next to him, yeah, who can um, play the balls to him, I think that's his best position. I I won't say he can't play as a lone striker, but I think it will be hard to play as a lone striker because um, yeah, in the Premier League, two big defenders, two big central defenders, they yeah will have mm. a hard time staying alone. But, um, yeah, I think the partnership with Abram could work because Abram is quite physical. He's not, not the same as Werner, so they could um, complement each other quite good, I think. Mm, so, basically, you're saying you do, do you think the best way to... You're saying he can possibly play as a lone striker, but the best way to utilize him would either be on the left wing or if we played him up front as sort of like a shadow striker. Something like, uh, um, you know how Mason Mount played for some games during Chelsea's season. Do you reckon, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think because if Werner is a type of player, I think he he wants to have the ball. Even if it is a finisher, a natural finisher, he doesn't like to be mm. in, not involved at all. So if Leipzig 
had a bad game and he didn't get many balls. He liked to drop deeper to yeah to get on the ball. And if he's playing as a lone striker, that's a problem because there's no one up front who can score if Werner drops deep. So um, mm-hmm. he needs to have a bit of freedom to to roam from his position and to drop deep, to drop between the, between the lines because his passing game is underrated. I think I think he's a quite good passer. So he's no um, yeah he's no Kovacic or no Jorginho, but um, he is a quite good passer, so um, I think he's underrated in that department. Um, yeah, and he needs this freedom to roam from his position. And as a lone striker in a 4-3-3, I think it's more of a problem because, yeah, you're missing a target man up front when, when your lone striker is dropping deep. So, yeah, that's the reason. Mm. Mm, mm. So, with, with that actually being said, because um, a lot of fans have just felt like he's probably going to bench Tammy Abraham, and I was just like, I don't think that's probably going to be the case. I mean, we're going to find, I mean, we don't really know how Lampard is going to crop out um, placing Werner in the team. But another player that everybody's wondering about, and he's probably one of he's, he's the hottest kick at the moment, as far as transfer news is concerned, is Kai Havertz. And the thing is, I've always loved Kai Havertz. I used to watch him, I mean, whenever I had the chance, I'd watch all his games for Leverkusen. And the sort of player he is, he's very, very dynamic. He has fantastic passing. He's also very clinical in that 25-yard area. But I wanted you to give us some more insight as to what kind of player he is and what where you'd expect him to play in Chelsea's team next season, assuming he does sign. Yeah, I think Harvard is a, yeah one of these so-called generational talents. Um, I think he's even more talented than Werner. I think Werner... Mm. He is a good player all around, but I think his main strength is his quickness. If you take away that from him, yeah, he's still a good player, but not a top, top striker. So um, mm. the overall game, Harvard is just phenomenal for him for his age. I think he's just a teeny. I think he wrote his, his uh, he was in school last year. So um, yeah, he's wow. a teenager and um, he's so, so good. Um, he had a bit of a letdown in the first half of the season, so not scoring enough, not creating so much chances. But um, yeah, after the break and especially 2020 now, yeah, he performed um, yeah immense and um, helped Leverkusen to have a Champions League run. But yeah, they, they didn't make it on because uh, Gladbach took the fourth place. But um, yeah, I think his numbers in the in the second half of the season were were very very good and. Yeah, what position he can play, it's it's hard because, um, yeah, like you said, he is um, clinical in front of the goal, but I won't say he is a striker because he's just too good to be a striker. So he played many positions for Bayer Leverkusen. He played on the right wing, he played on the left wing, he played as a number 10, a classic number 10, and he played as a striker when uh, Kevin Folland, their yeah, so-called main striker, was injured for, for some weeks. Um and that's was where he he produced his best numbers. But I would say, um, yeah, Harvard is a central midfielder, or at least let's say a number ten, because yeah, his vision, mm. his passing game um, is so good. He's so intelligent on the ball, and yeah, he hardly loses the ball because even though he looks a bit skinny and not mm. very physical, but um, yeah, he can use his body very well. So it's hard to to get him off the ball. Mm. That's another thing as well. So, I mean, you've mentioned the wide array of positions, but recently, especially in the Chelsea community, over the last few games we've been watching, we've actually employed a 4-3-3. And we're using this thing that everybody's calling the flying eight. So basically a pair of attacking number eights. Do you reckon Kai Havertz could actually play on the right or left-hand side of such a formation? Do you think it would be effective for him? It's hard to say because what Harvard is lacking is his uh, yeah defensive effort. You have to say that he's no tackler. He has not the best uh, yeah not his best working ethic. Um, yeah, there have been some games where he was really invisible. So um, he always had his twenty or thirty minutes where you don't really see him on the pitch because he mm. he is as consistent as you can be as a teenager. Um, but mm. yeah, he is not. Yeah, he is just is a teenager, so I don't know if it's if it's such a central position like a flying eight. Um, I'm not sure if he can really fulfill his um, yeah, his duties there because, like I said, he he needs his 
breaks sometimes like 10 or 15 minutes um, and when he's playing as a striker or as a winger or as a number 10 you can have these breaks but um, playing a mm. bit deeper role I'm not sure if um, it's too much of liability in, in, in his system in a 4-3-3 so um, not sure about it mm. Mm. That's, a, that's actually a really interesting take and that's one thing a lot of people tend to forget actually the fact that um, these players are still relatively young but I'm just going to before we move on to the next person I just want to give a bit of an example of what I think the flying eight is going to be like I'm not sure if you watch a lot of Man City games but you know when they played David Silva and then um, the Kevin De Bruyne on the other side in the 4-3-3 that's the sort of thing I'm thinking of so do you think with something similar he would be able to get things done maybe in the future? Yeah, of course. I mean, um, he's still young, so he can, of course, adapt. I mean, Harvard, if he not played his position yet, it's not, uh, it's not that he can't play it in the future. I think the player Harvard is quite similar to, um, yeah, don't be afraid. It's, it's Ozil. So, Mesut Ozil, mm. I think a lot of people, a lot of Arsenal fans sometimes ask, why is Ozil not playing deeper? To get on the ball because he is Arsenal's or he was Arsenal's best football player. So they wanted to mm. get him the ball quite deep and organize the game. So some people say that about Harvards too. He, he needs the ball. But I think, yeah, a player like Harvards with this ability for the last, for the final ball and to finish the in front of the goal, he needs the ball in the dangerous area. So in the final third. Yeah. And no matter how what system you play or what position Harvard is playing, you need to ensure that Kai Harvard gets the ball in, in the final third, where he can really create. Mm. So um, mm. I won't dropping too deep. Um, yeah, he needs to be in the dangerous positions where he either assists or, or gets a shot. So for me, this is his best position. And if you drop him too deep, um, yeah, you get rid of his main strengths, in my opinion. Mm, mm. I actually liked analysis. I mean, I mean, because I've watched Harvard as well, and a lot of people felt like you could just easily drop into that position, and things like that just mean people are going to really expect lots of things from someone that young in that position that he's never really played before. But that's actually really interesting. It has changed the way I actually think about how he's going to be implemented. But leaving Harvard behind, I want to talk about one last transfer-related rumor, and that is David Alaba. Apparently, he wants he wants out of uh, Bayern Munich. Do you think Chelsea should be going for a player of his caliber, even though he's like 28 years old? Yeah, it's always hard with these players from, from Bayern Munich. It's the same with Thomas Müller, with Lewandowski, with Kimmich, with Alaba. It seems like there are no really transfer rumors about these players because you, you are certain that they won't leave Bayern Munich because it's like a vacuum for them. So they play for Bayern. There are not many teams better than Bayern Munich. So, yeah, there haven't been much or many transfer rumors in the past, but there have been some now. And, uh, yeah, Alaba is one of them. And, yeah, I mean, if you if you watched Alaba in the past, it's just amazing how he adapted to the centre-back position. I mean, he was a left-back and he was a central midfielder for, for Austria. And yeah, he has a, he has a hor- horrible uh, European championship with uh, Austria on the, as a defensive midfielder. Mm. And it mm. looked like he lost his mojo a bit after this um, European Cup. Because yeah, it was, he wasn't the best left back in the world anymore. I mean, he was on one, on one page with Marcelo and Jordi Alba. But yeah. he lo- he lost it a bit. It seems like he lost it a bit because he was under under Pep Guardiola. It was yeah. There, there have been no better um, partnership like Ribéry and Alaba on the left side. So I um, mean he, he was world mm-hmm. class, and I think he declined a bit. But the last yeah the last month under under Hansi Flick especially with the injury problems Bayern Munich had with uh, Niklas Süle injured with Boateng not that ready to perform with Hernandez um, not really really performing so he had to fit in the slot um, and yeah he does immense I mean he's, his passing with his left foot is so so good he can break lines as a central defender I think there's there are not many central backs um, that can, can really pass the ball as well as Alaba um, he's quick even though he's not the youngest anymore I think um, Alaba is so for so long in a professional game you forget that he's He's getting older, but he's still under 30. So uh, he has three or four years left in his tank on, a, on the mm. highest level. So what he's lacking, mm. of course, 
he is not the, the tallest player for center back. Maybe you can't um, compare him to to a Van Dijk type of player. Um, so you need to partner him with a with a big defender who can win headers in the Premier League. Otherwise, um, yeah, you will get problems um, on set pieces. But mm. um, if you get the right partner for Alaba, um, yeah, I think he is one of the best uh, center backs you can get because he's left footed, which is quite raw. Um, yeah, and he hardly makes any mistake. He's so trustable. And yeah, he has really, really experience because he is a championship winner. He is a he got the, the national team um and Austria is captain of them and he won the, the, the championship in Germany so many times. So he is a he is a leader and he got the, this winner, this winner mentality, which uh, yeah, Chelsea needs, of course. So if you can get mm. him, I think you must get him because um, if not now, then you won't get him um, in the future, I think. Mm, mm, mm. Fair enough, fair enough. I read that, I read that. Okay, so moving on from David Oliver, actually, I want to be asked, I want to ask you a question. I want to ask you what you think because I'm aware that you really, really do like this player and he's one of my favourite players ever as well. And this is Michael Ballack. Now, I want to ask you, how critical do you think he has been to getting the likes of Werner and getting us in contact with Havertz? How important do you think he has been in getting some of these transfers done and over the line in Germany for Chelsea? Yeah, I think Ballack, it's, it's like when he was an active player, he's, he's underrated. Um, he, he was underrated as a player, and he's underrated now in the position he is. Um, he has a big influence in Germany still. He's not one of these faces you see every day on the TV, like Oliver Kahn or some other guys uh, who used to play for Germany. He's not like this media guy you see every day and you think, like Lothar Matthäus, for example, where you think, oh, is it really necessary to watch him every day on the TV? Um, but I think he has a big influence on young players because Balak, yeah, he was a generational player for Germany. Um, so much influence, so much um, mentality, leader, uh, captain for Germany, um, even if they haven't won the big thing with him in the squad. But um, I think if you compare the old German team with the new one, um, what they've done with so much less talent. And um, yeah, Balak was a big part of it. So yeah, I think, um, I mean, I don't know it, but I think he played a big part um, because I, I think Werner will have contacted him about Chelsea and um, yeah. asked him, of course. So um, it's, 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 his, his word is, um, yeah, you, you trust his word because if, if Balak says, yeah, you will have a good time at Chelsea, you will play, you will develop, Lampard is a good coach, I think, yeah, the players believe him. So um, I think he's a big part in the German market. So um, yeah, it's a big advantage for Chelsea to have such a such a name that um, yeah, that in the German market. Mm, mm. That's 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 fair enough. Fair enough. All right, fair enough. So that's transfers out the way. Let's get into some more interesting stuff. As far as you are concerned, we're going to be going into a bit of coaching and uh, data visualization talk, but. Um, before I get into that, it's very too specific. I want to ask you about coaching for starters. I want to ask a question from um, Aaron Smith, and he's asking, is there anything specifically different to how German clubs train in comparison to British clubs? Because apparently, like um, a while back, I f I'm trying to remember the reference. I think it was uh, was the goalkeepers. I can't remember which goalkeepers it was, but like when, yeah, when Gary Neville went to Spain, he learned that goalkeepers don't train alone. But they train as part of like a group helps like for ball playing goalkeepers and stuff like that. So are there any major differences between how players in Germany train to how players in England play? That's a good question. I think um, what I always criticize on the on the German football um, is that it was too reactive in the in the past and not really active. I think when uh, when uh, this when Spain was dominating the world with their tiki taka football. Everyone wanted mm. to have the best passes in their game. And the German youth teams, yeah, they always said, we need to pass in training. We need to have, yeah, passing players. So um, mm. German teams forgot that you also need the triplers and the one-on-one -on -one players in your team. So, um, yeah, mm. we, we all saw what happened with these passing teams in the, in the last World Cup, uh, especially Germany. So um, <laughs> we saw who won the World Cup. 
uh, with France and what players they got. They got these quick one-on-one players like Mbappé. So from now, German team said, we need these triplers. We need the next Leroy Sané. We need the next Mbappé. So um, it's a bit too reactive in my opinion because um, it seems like um, German youth teams always um, yeah, just react to what is needed. Um, it got better in the in the past because uh, yeah, there's there are some um, good people in the in the German football association with good plans and in, uh, innovative plans. But in general, the difference to England, I think, um, yeah, it's it's hard to say because I think German is a bit more technical. Um, I've watched some training sessions in England. It's um, a bit more physical in training, um, which mm. also is in Germany. But I think German youth football and I, I am a youth coach is um, yeah a bit more tactical and technical so um, yeah that's the main difference I think all in all the the big five leagues like Spain Italy France Germany and then England yeah they're all all the same to to speak of it I think Spain is even more technical um, than Germany or England um, but they don't they are not that many difference anymore I think because Nowadays, in the internet, you can download training sessions from all around the world. You can you can get the stuff you want with two or three clicks. So um, yeah, there are not that many really revolutions anymore in the in the in the training um, philosophy. So yeah, that made it all be on on one page in the in the in the last four or five years for me. Hmm. Mm. That's very very interesting take. So. Based on what you've just said, you've said that in German, for example, it's kind of, it's a bit more technical. And especially since you, like you said, you're a youth coach, it's more technical for a lot of them. So that means in terms of physicality, it's not really one of the major priorities, but that's one of the priorities we do have in England. You can see it down in the championship. Like the lower you go, the more aggressive it does become. The Premier League is a very physical league, but a lot of people tend to forget that the lower leagues are even more physical. So for players like Herbert and Werner, who aren't that physically imposing, I know um, Herbert is a bit, he's kind of stronger. He doesn't just get pushed over very easily, but he's kind of young. Do you think the changes from his players do you think it's going to be a problem for them transitioning to the Premier League uh, yeah it could be um, I think yeah you're right I think that the problem is in Germany you tend to focus too much on the technical side you always say like in, in some U team it's, it's really like a big player who is quite physical they say ah he's not good enough because yeah when he is uh, when he's older he won't have that advantage anymore so yeah, they just kick him out because they say, ah, he needs to be more technical. But the thing is, if I'm a 60-year-old uh, boy and I'm quite big for my age and I'm quite physical for my age, I also will remain that advantage when I'm a 20-year-old boy. So I don't lose that advantage, yeah. in my opinion. So I think yeah. a player like Lukaku, for example, I mean, he is a, yeah, he is a quite a big example, but players who were physical now, they were also physical in their youth. So um, I won't say that Germany is doing a bad job, but they could focus a bit more on the physical part because they're focusing much more on the technical and tactical part, which is quite important. But um, yeah, a physical, a big, strong player is always an advantage because um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it makes it easier for you if you have a quite strong body and can compete with others because yeah, it makes life easier. You don't need the skill to, to get past your play, you can just, yeah, just push, put the ball. Bully them away. Yeah, yeah, just bully them away. So um, it makes it easier for you. So, um, yeah, for Harvard, I'm not sure. Harvard, like I said, you can compare him a bit to Mesut Ozil. Um, they mm. are both highly talented, um, but of course they can get bullied away from the ball. I, I, I won't say Harvard will end like Ozil in the Premier League. I mean, Ozil had some good years, but... Um, yeah, I'm not sure if Harvard's. I won't put my hand in the fire for Harvard's to compete in the Premier League. So let's say that they oh, did wow. generational talent, but I, I will say for 90% he will make it. But um, I think Werner is more a guarantee because he has this. Yeah, he's he's smaller than Harvard's, but he has this. Yeah, I'm not sure. He is. He has a quite physical mentality, so he knows how mm. to how to fight in a 
in a one-on-one. -on -one. And Harvard is a bit more this, yeah, bit more like David Silva, these guys. Um, yeah, mm -hmm. you have to be a big, big technical player to really compete because, yeah, he's missing this physicality part. But, um, yeah, he is talented enough to, yeah, to make it, I think. So you, so basically, because, I mean, like you just said, David Silva is one of these small, but because of how technically gifted he is, players like him, players like um, Cesc Fabregas, I mean, Ozil for a time was also very, very good. But are you saying, do you think Havertz has, in, and I, I know we've digressed a bit, but do you think Havertz has that technical ability to overcome the physicalities of the Premier League? I would say yes, because, um, yeah, he, like I said, he, he has the technical ability and he knows how to use his body. And I mean, he is, his body is mm. still developing. So in, let's talk yeah. again in two or three years. Uh, let, just look at Ozil. I mean, Ozil is not himself for the last uh, two or three years, but his body really develops. So he's not that skinny boy anymore. I think Ozil put some muscles on. It didn't really mm. help him, but um, you know what is possible there. So Harvard could be a look at Leon Goretzka at Bayern Munich. He was a skinny guy uh, five months ago. Now he is a second Hulk. So mm. um, yeah, in, in, in that age, um, just give Harvard two or three months with a, with a athletic trainer, athletic coach in, in the Premier League and, and we'll bulk up. So um, yeah, I think that will be the smallest problem. Like I said, I... I'm more, more worried about his mentality because sometimes he looks a bit, yeah, a bit sloppy, a bit um, missing this aggressive, aggressive mentality. Mm. So uh, it's a bit the same with similar to Özil. I mean, you don't, you don't question his body because Özil knows to use his body well, but this um, aggressiveness, um, this, yeah, I'm not sure if Harvard's is that far um, because yeah sometimes he looks a bit the game just flows beside him and he's not involved that much he's missing that willingness to really yeah fight so if there mm. is a worry with Harvard that's my only thing I think the the footballing part you don't have to worry at all he's a generational talent he will get stronger he will get more physical if there's one thing you can't really know what it what it will be like in the next two or three years it's his mentality but mm. uh, yeah, I think he he is already a winner type, and he he was captain in Leverkusen, uh, I think. So yeah, he has a strong leadership in inside him, but he's still young, so you never know how how he will develop this. Mm. Mm. That's very 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 interesting. I think is I'm learning more about Havertz now that we've spoken because initially, I mean, thing is I've always watched him. But the thing is, you I never like watched him consistently. I mean, whenever I hopped on, it's just one of those games where you just hop on and he's on top of his game, if you know what I mean. I never watched him consistently. But so this is very, very interesting to hear. Very, very interesting to hear. So now with that being said, I want to move on to data visualization. Now, before I go into a few more technical questions, I want you, Marius, to just explain to some of the listeners who aren't too familiar with what data visualization is. Can you just explain to them what exactly it is so they have a brief understanding of what it, what it means in football? Yeah, so data visualization is an easy way to show yeah important numbers or important stats in the game. And nowadays, the coaches, mainly the coaches, are so busy with their time. They're on the training pitch. They have the matches. So they need the most important stats and the most important data for their team with one, with one view. So yeah, data visualization really helps because it can yeah it can compro compromise these these yeah important stats for your team yeah and your coach just looks at the paper or looks at his tablet and he sees oh that's uh for example my my next opponent he attacks over the left flank and he he scores the most goals from behind from inside the box for example so um, yeah so data visualization can be a tool. Yeah, to to minimize the the effort for a coach to understand the important stats and numbers. But of course, it can also be just a yeah, just a tool to play around. Um, if you follow my Twitter, I do some some shot maps, some assist maps. I don't think they are quite revolutionary, but they are looking good. Mm. So <laughs> that organization. <laughs> It's all also a kind of art. I think there was a, a discussion mm. on Twitter some weeks ago where someone asked, um, uh, I think he did a poll, is data visualization an art? 
And I think it is an art because, yeah, it's like drawing a picture or some, or building a, anything. Yeah, you, you want to look it as good as possible and so people like it. And I think, yeah, it's an art. For me, it's an art, but I also want to, yeah, that my the viewers of my visualizations, they, yeah, they, they take something away from it. Mm, 100%. I mean, we'll definitely leave link to your Twitter and some of the work you've done down below. But with that being said, now that the listeners have an idea of what we're talking about, the main question I have for this is, because my problem with a lot of people, especially on football Twitter, is the way people mis misinterpret data and information. Now, some people would see a lot of data and see more goals, more assists, XG numbers and stuff like that. And they just automatically use that to shut down other individuals. Players like Eden Hazard had fantastic stats all round, except for goals and assists so i want to ask you with data visualization because i mean i know it's not just about goals and assists and appearances that's just really basic level information i know data visualization also encapsulates stuff like xgs xgs and xgs and all of that but i want to ask you how important is data visualization in football and how exactly can it change someone's perception of certain individuals I think it's it's the same with, with all the things in life. There's no black and white thinking, and it shouldn't be. But a lot of people on football mm. Twitter, like you mentioned, they just have black or white. Either they think data and data visualization is the holy quail, so every player must have good stats. They, the, the XG must be good. You have has to be a, a good presser. His PBDA, his pressing mm. stats must be good. So um, on the other hand, you have people that just judge a player on their eye test and they say, oh, XG is all mm. nonsense. So the truth lays somewhere in the middle. So for me, I think I like playing around with these advanced metrics, but I would never say they are the, the only truth because there are so many examples of um, teams that uh, have a lot of data in that, in that transfer um, system. So they... they they mm. get players just because they have good stats um, and it didn't work out because the league is different. The player might be not as good as they thought him to be. So um, just um, yeah, getting a player because he has good stats or some data visualizations showed him to be good, I think is a mistake. You always need to have the eye test on him. But on the other hand, um, like you mentioned, um, players uh, like Hazard who don't score that many goals or sometimes don't have that many assists. They tend to fall under the right radar. So with these new mm. advanced metrics and the visualizations and the graphics around, you can yeah, you can explore players um, who don't have that big numbers, but still can play an important role for your team. So um, yeah, mm. I think it, it changed and it will change even more. Um, yeah, the, the few on, on transfers, especially because there will be more teams involved in this data um, data analysis thing to yeah, to find the best players because it's getting really hard. I mean, that's why Chelsea is really lucky to get these players like Werner or maybe Harvitz because it's getting so hard to get players um, nowadays because all the, the young players who play in the in the smaller leagues, everyone knows how they who they are. So um, it's hard mm. to get these, these diamonds. So you need to get the, the finished players. Um, and Werner is a finished player. And if you have the chance to get him, yeah, you must get him. And so it's not easy to, to really find the gems in the market anymore because more and more teams using data visualization and data analysis yeah, to find the best players. And you're not alone in the market if you do it. Okay. So basically what I'm asking is now you have... Um, a lot of big teams using like advanced metrics and data visualization to scout players. For example, I know that Man City really, really wanted to get Jorginho before, but then we couldn't really get him because obviously I knew Sari was involved and going to Chelsea, but I found that they did a lot of advanced research on him and found out that he wasn't the ideal player for Manchester City and how exactly he wanted to play. So do you think scouting as an art form is going to die out? Or do you think data visualization is just going to supplement scouting even further? Yeah, I think it's just supplemented it because like I said, the eye test is still the best thing to judge a player because um, what data and what stats don't tell you is um, how can a player adapt to a new league? 
I mean, if a player plays in the Bundesliga, you can fairly say the Bundesliga from the quality is quite as good as the Premier League. You can argue, but there's not that much difference. But let's say a player from the Portuguese League, from the Netherlands, or from, from the French League, even though. So how does this player adapt to a really, really top league? So um, that's what data can't tell you. So you really need to trust your eyes and, and see, is this player just playing good and producing good numbers for the stats because he's playing in a bad league? Or is he playing good because, yeah, he's just a good player? Um, for a good example might be um, Alfonso Davis for Bayern Munich. I think the mm. qualities Davis has, they are not dependent on the league. Davis is so quick. He can he is a quick player in in the Canadian league. He is a big player in a um, in an Asian league. He's a quick player in the Bundesliga, and he will be a big a, a quick player in the Premier League. So um, there are some um, qualities a player has, yeah, that are really universal for for every league. But there are also some qualities mm -hmm. that might be just yeah be good in that league. And and I don't think that stats will tell you that. Um, They, they want to, to find some metrics that really tell you, um, yeah, like in numbers that the player must be that good in the Portuguese league to play a role in the Premier League. But I think it's quite hard because every player is different. And yeah, so um, for example, just to give a, a quick example, the, the Spanish league, for example, La Liga, very, very few teams playing long balls in La Liga. Okay, so um, just to give you an example, um, La Liga, the Spanish league, is quite a technical league. There, there are not many play, uh, teams playing long balls. So um, defenders in La Liga, they just can't have good stats in clearances or winning wearing aerial duels because there are not many long balls played. So, um, yeah, you can't have good stats in a league that does, doesn't play long balls. So, yeah, the data is not always telling the truth. So you really need to, to have an eye test on every player. Yeah, basically, I agree with what you're saying. And like I've said like in the past, as well, a lot of people on football Twitter, especially and a lot of individuals, also like to look at statistics, a lot of numbers. And that's all we use to generate their opinions on certain individuals, even without seeing them. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it with stats for me. So... Now, I want to move on to a few, like, randomly strung together questions that still have a lot of relevance to what we're talking about. Now, one person I really do want to speak about is Antonio Rudiger. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of the hashtag hustle merchants, as we Chelsea fans like to call him. But I want to find out what you actually do think of the player. And do you think he was, like, how critical do you think he was into getting at the likes of Werner and potentially Havertz at, uh, at the bridge? Yeah, it's hard to judge Rudiger. I mean, on the one hand, I, I really like him because I think he has all the tools to be a good defender. I mean, he's physical, he can break lines with his passing game, and he's quick. But on the other hand, as a coach, from a coaching point of view, I won't trust him 100%. I feel he always has this one or two mistakes in him. Um, which makes him, for me, not 100% reliable. And you need to beat it as a centre-back. So, um, yeah, I think he has, on paper, he can be a great, great defender. And he is a good defender, of course. But, um, yeah, it's the, the reliability that is the missing part for me. I think this, yeah, just mm. this aura, aura, like a player like Van Dijk or Ramos or... Uh, even Hummels in Germany, they got this mentality, you think you can't dribble past them. Um, and Rüdiger, he, he doesn't, he doesn't um, yeah, the, the opponents are not afraid of, of seeing Rüdiger play as a centre-back, and it should be this, this way. I think they were afraid of Terry, and they were afraid of even Cahill playing there. But, um, yeah, Rüdiger is just missing this, yeah, this one thing, in my opinion. But, of course, he was quite influ uh, influential for, for getting players like Werner to Chelsea, because... Um, What I read in the media and I, what I've heard, he is quite a yeah, really good guy and he, he is a good member of the German national team and he has a lot of, of German friends in the national team. So um, I think, um, yeah, he can be a quite good 
good thing like Michael Ballack, um, they they both as a as a combination, I think um, it's a big advantage for getting German players from the Bundesliga to Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree less, actually. I really couldn't agree less. The thing is, maybe with Rudiger as well, I just feel like he does, like you said, he's not a very trustworthy player, I don't think. And sometimes you can just sense or you can see the lapse in concentration. Do you know what I mean? Just like his brain stops working for a couple of seconds. I feel like he does have maybe the physical attributes to be able to get certain things done. I mean, his passing is okay and stuff like that. But yeah, I definitely do agree with you on that one. So, yeah, that's pretty much us done for Chelsea. So now I've just got a few more random questions related to football, of course. And uh, for the listeners that were not aware, Marek is actually, unfortunately, an Arsenal fan. (laughs) Can we stop here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, I can't begin to imagine how it is to be an Arsenal fan right now. But I want to ask you, how far back... Do you think you are from Chelsea? Do you think Mikel Arteta is the man for the job? Yeah, it's it's, it's hard to say. I mean, um, everyone was quite pumped when we announced Arteta because everyone thought, okay, it's a, Arteta learned from Guardiola. He has a bit of an experience from the Premier League, not as a head coach, but I think nowadays it's not a big difference if you are... Uh, sitting on the bench as an assistant coach, as, a, as a, the head coach, because everyone is yeah. involved. Okay? So I think, um, yeah, I think Ateta is ready to be a full-time head coach. But, of course, you have to agree that um, not everything was okay, even with Ateta. I mean, it's, it's a hard job. I think he didn't expect it to be that hard, because um, if you look at the Arsenal squad, and uh, on paper, I mean, it's maybe not as good as the squad that Chelsea has, but um, it's not that bad, to be honest. And there were a lot of games, like um, I remember the Brighton game last week. Um, I haven't seen any development um, to the time under uh, Unai Emery. So this game under Emery and mm. everyone would have gone riot. So um, Ateta is doing better. Arsenal is playing much better football, but I still think they need a big, big cut in the summer. So that's easier said than done because you can't um, you can't kick out your, your half of your team. But um, yeah. there are just so many players that um, yeah, it, it, for me it's a quite similar situation to teams like AC Milan or to Inter Milan in the in the past few years. Um, it just seems like every player. Um, getting or moving to these teams, he just is declining his form. It's like paper, it's like so many players. <laughs> um, and you see Inter Milan oh. is, is, is a big team now because they made this big cut. They got a new coach, um, they got so many new players with Lukaku, with Martinez, with the, the whole defense change. And you, you need to make this big cut because um, otherwise for me it's impossible to change the mentality of the club because... Um, Players, um, if you just kick out one or two players and add two new players and do it over and over again, you won't change mentality. And it is, it's a mentality mm. problem for me. The players can play football. We have some talented players like in Guendouzi, Martinelli, in Saka, of course, um, in Ketia. We have experienced players with Aubameyang, with Lacazette, with Pepe. Um, but for some reason, it, it doesn't work out. Um, and it's it's quite shaming to just even be in the position to uh, at least we still have a chance to play Champions League football next season. Um, it depends what what happens with City, but I think it's it's like six points on 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 fifth place, and that would be enough mm. to play Champions League next season. So um, it's 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 really ridiculous because if you play a season like Arsenal is playing, you won't expect him to have any chance of European football at all. But um, yeah. yeah. Um, one big thing is what what um, is similar to Chelsea that Arsenal, even though not playing um, a big role in European football anymore, we can still attract some good players. I mean, Pepe yeah. is not having the best season, but getting a player like Nicolas Pepe after having this season at Lille, you, you don't. I don't think a normal team uh. that finished in sixth or seventh place in the league could get a player like Pepe. So. Um, that's a big advantage that Arsenal and even Chelsea got. They can attract players. I mean, Timo Werner or Harvards, you wouldn't expect a team 
that uh, is fourth place in the top league to get a player like maybe get a player like Harvard. So, uh, but Chelsea can attract these players because they have the money and they have the image. And um, so, yeah, that's a, that's an advantage I think Arsenal can use um, to really build a new team because um, otherwise, uh, yeah, it's it's hard to be optimistic um, for me. <laughs> you understand. I can understand all Arsenal fans at the moment. I just absolutely, I don't even know how it feels to be an Arsenal fan right now. But let's actually talk about something that makes you a bit happier. So I want to ask you, how did you start off your coaching career? Yeah, it was quite my, starting with my father. Um, yeah, he was a, a coach like in Germany. We have a league system which starts with the Bundesliga, of course, and goes down like in the 10th or 11th tire league. And my father was a fourth tire league coach um, back in the, well, let's say in the, in the 80s or 90s. Um, yeah, and when I was younger, um, I just, yeah, sometimes I sit on the bench and um, just watch the training sessions. And um, yeah, when I when I finished my playing career, um, which was not that good, uh, like I, I was a, just a Sunday league footballer to say it in, in English. Um, mm. Yeah, I, it was clear for me that I want to be a coach because I, I always thought as a coach when I was a player. So I, I wanted to get involved in, in training sessions, planning and so on. I always asked my coaches a lot of things. So I was um, yeah, always thinking about football more than I thought my teammates were thinking about football. They were just playing football on the pitch and afterwards going back home and watch TV. So I always had this passion for football. And yeah, I thought that as a coach, I could get involved um, a bit more in, in, into this. And yeah, I just started at my hometown club. Um, I think it's like eight years ago in the youth academy. And then, yeah, just got up and got up a bit. And um, yeah, my my um, actual club is a club from the fourth tire league in Germany. So it's on the, yeah, on the edge to be a professional club. So um, yeah, it's quite a good level of play. And it's quite fun with these players, um, good players. Um, yeah, that's basically all. Um, it's it's uh, not the best job in the world to be a youth coach because I think that's the, a big similarity all around the world. You don't you don't get much money for the effort you put in. I think I'm on the training pitch like five days a week. It's, uh, wow, don't get wow. that much money for it. But yeah, that that's life. Um, it's a passion we all follow. Some some do it with data analysis, some do it as a coach, some do it both like I do. So um, some doing um, just just football sites for fun. So everyone is involved in the game, putting effort in it. So, um, yeah. I mean, with that being said, so you said you've been coaching now for close to eight years. I want to ask you, so with your date, all this data visualization you're doing and the data analysis, do you, was that, did you learn that as a result of, starting to coach or did you just pick that up as a hobby or is this something you planned on using later on in your career to be honest um, it was more like a hobby um, when I um, so at the moment I'm not coaching a team for uh, like six months because I um, changed my job to the full-time editorial job in Germany so I moved um, to another town and need to leave my own club behind um so i'm just doing some individual training stuff when i have time so i needed to uh, find anything to fulfill my passion um so i started to do some yeah some analytic things on twitter and starting like like at point zero because i'm not an uh, engineer i don't have that much experience with um, programming like with python or all the programming stuff so i started to yeah, do this on Excel. I think everyone knows Excel as a, as yeah, a yeah. tool for some uh, boring companies. So, yeah, I started to do some scatter plots on Excel. Um, not many people. On, I think I had like 100 followers on, on Twitter. And, yeah, then some someday I um, noticed that the things I do on Excel are actually quite cool. So, um looking quite good and people started to like them and to share them the stuff and uh, yeah recently i'm doing some 3d goal maps on excel which is quite crazy because i looked back and uh, eight months ago i wasn't really able to do a normal a normal chart on excel and now i'm doing 3d goal maps on excel which is uh, really crazy for me too so yeah mm. it was really just mm. a hobby 
and developed into a passion. So um, yeah, really like to do it even more. Um, yeah, if people see it and discuss it, because like you said, data visualization, there's no truth or false. You can discuss it. Yeah, I think that's the thing I like the most about it, to just discuss with people about football, about stats, and yeah. So, yeah, that's fair enough, actually. That's fair enough. Very interesting. I mean, with Excel, I mean, I'm a programmer by heart, and that's what I study at university. So if you do ever need anyone to help you come up with some tools and stuff with Python, I can definitely help you out with that. But with yeah. all that being said, I have one more question for you. So with when you're not focusing on football and like coaching and data visualization, what do you do in your spare time? Yeah, that's a good question because uh, since I work full-time in football now, um, there's not so much else I could do uh, despite of uh, yeah football. Uh, I think uh, mm. my friends always say it's the only thing I'm good at. So, um, yeah, I have a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> oh, my days. I, I, I have a girlfriend despite all this football stuff. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we like to travel around. Um, it's a bit hard now with the coronavirus, but... Um, yeah, like to travel a lot. Um, yeah, and if I don't watch football, which is really rare, yeah, I like to play basketball or um, yeah, go to the cinema, hear to the music. Um, yeah, everything you will put on a dating site on your profiles, basically. So yeah, but <laughs> oh but football God. is really the, a big part in my life, and I think um, yeah, I have a really really big passion for football. Um, and yet yeah, it, it's I think there's no day that I don't really yeah, do anything uh, football uh, related. So, yeah. Mm, mm. That is fair enough. I find that very interesting. But, Marius, I think our time is up. Thank you so much. Is there anything you'd like me to... Is there anything you'd like to talk about before we hop on? Oh, no, I think that's that's fair enough. I think we, we talked for a lot of things. So, no, nothing for me left. Okay, okay, perfect. So with that being said, I will be leaving all your links down in the description below. Thank you so much for coming onto the, onto the podcast. We hope to have you on in the near future once again to talk more football. But Marius, thank you once again. And, yeah, uh, thank you. We'll thank you for the invitation. Mm, really do appreciate on here. But yeah, we'll, so guys, thank you so much for listening. And I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Okay, bye-bye.